Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello there, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here on Judging Freedom. Today, a conversation with one of the smartest people I know, Karen Kwiatkowski, is a retired lieutenant colonel from the United States Air Force. She's also a graduate of Harvard University and holds a PhD in world politics from the Catholic University of America, a school that I'm close to and very fond of, not ideologically, but uh, religiously. Karen, uh, welcome to Judging Freedom. It's always a pleasure to have you. I think the last time we chatted was back in my Fox days when I had um, Liberty File on Fox Nation. Yeah. yeah, that's right. No, it's great to be here. I'm glad you've got a podcast. To Thank you. Stuff. Thank you. A lot of our uh, our people, a lot of uh, libertarians of, of various stripes uh, have been very generous uh, in uh, subscribing to this and and listening to it faithfully. So you wrote a piece, speaking of libertarian, at, at the Center for Libertarian Ideological and Academic Thought, LouRockwell.com. Lou is a longtime friend of mine, and as you may know, I'm on the board of Mises, which he founded and out of which he uh, operates. Uh, and your piece is called A Modest Proposal. Now, I read Lou Rockwell all the time, and, and my columns are run on Thursday, but Thursdays, but this one... I read three times because it so captured my attention, not only because you're the author, but because of what you said. So I have to read for the people watching and listening to us now a very provocative statement in here, and then I'll let you take the ball and run with it, which I know you can. What if world leaders saw the United States as a large, incompetent, nuclear-armed country, unable to pay its bills, suffering domestic unrest, and facing imminent collapse of the social welfare state upon which 70% of the population depends for survival. Now, I would submit that that is not an opinion, that those are inassailable truths (laughs) that you have put into the what if. So the answer to the what if has to be yes. Yep, I think so. I think so. You know, I I got an email from a... a person who read that who had been a lifelong Democrat, but now reads Lou Rockwell every day and has rejected the the progressive socialism, I guess. But he took issue with the 70% being dependent on the the welfare state. And, you know, he doesn't read Lou Rockwell often enough, I guess, you know, he's new to it. But, um, but I think how'd you get 70% because I I think the number might actually be higher. It could uh, count employees of the government as well as those who, who, receive what the government takes from the rest of us. This is exactly it. And I, I did answer the guy and enlisted a few things that I'm thinking about. And obviously um, all of the various social security, Medicare programs, the mil- the government retirements, the military retirements, the state retirements, the local pol- politicians and firefighter retirements. Um, and then of course, all of the direct employees and their contractors. And so now you, you know, it's, it's probably is over 70%. 
because the other 30 don't work. <laughs> well, that's not true. They do. No, un un understood, understood. But, uh, but look, it is really uh, beyond dispute uh, that the, the country is large. The government is incompetent. It is nuclear armed. It can't pay its bills. It's suffering from domestic unrest and facing imminent collapse. How imminent, and you talk about this later in the piece, uh, Karen, how well, imminent is the collapse? It's, it, you know, I've been predicting, and I think a lot of us have for a long time uh, of an imminent collapse, but, um, you know, the, the loss of our money, we do not have sound money. Um, there's a, there's a set up a Ponzi scheme, whatever you want to call it, that keeps things going. But, uh, that that's a big problem. And so something related to the money collapse, but also there's the faith collapse. And this is what we saw very much in the Soviet Union uh, many years before the Soviet Union collapsed and, and came apart. The people as a whole had no faith in their government. If their governments, if the lips were moving in a politician, they understood exactly 100% that they were being lied to. They knew that. Um, and we are very much uh, have, we've been like that for a while. And then if you add in, the recent years, the Trump years, um, the Obama years, the Trump years, and now the, the Biden year, you see a uh, division in society, which really is not, uh, it, it's, it's uh, intractable, really. I mean, people have two sets of things that they believe um, about government. Both of them are unhappy with government, but we can't even talk to each other. So, I, you know, you see people moving from state to state. Uh, blue states are losing populations. Uh, people are... We've had the largest expatriate uh, movement in years. I mean, every year we more people leave permanently the United States. So we are a country that if we were looking at us, if the CIA and, and the State Department and futurists in Washington were looking at our country, we would be concerned. Uh, we would be particularly concerned uh, about the fact that we have a centrally controlled uh, uh, nuclear uh, inventory of, of nuclear weapons. And of course we have other, we have <laughs> biological weapons, you know, we have many dangerous right. things that are all centrally controlled, but the nuclear stuff is something that people think about a lot. And then of course it occurred to me as I was, uh, uh, re you know, hearing the accolades and the uh, obituaries of, of uh, Desmond Tutu and what happened in South Africa. And of course, to me, what was always interesting, and I'm sure to many people who, who look at arms was that South Africa voluntarily disarmed prior to the end of apartheid and a lot of people whether whether it was true or not said oh well we don't trust a black dominated south africa to have nuclear weapons but it wasn't really all about that if it was even about that but de clerk uh, di disarmed he, he had seven six and a half weapons and they got rid of all of them and he had some help and some encouragement from other countries and that's a small example but that's how we should be operating in general. I mean, these things are dangerous. And look at our country. All right. Is, I mean, it, is it realistic to expect that the United States would unilaterally disarm? Or would we have to expect our Chinese, British, Israeli, well, the Israelis don't acknowledge they have it, but everybody, you're from the intelligence community, everybody <laughs> there knows they do. And the Russians to disarm as well, and maybe even the Iranians. Right. No, and that's why I titled it a modest proposal, which is kind of a little tongue in cheek because you know, it's it's actually a quite radical proposal, and um, I I don't think it's at all likely that we would unilaterally disarm. But what occurs to me is that if our country uh, fails, that 
we in in a number of ways splits apart becomes ungovernable in in any kind of way that the rest of the world has mechanisms to oversee such a disarmament it wouldn't be necessarily by our consent but um you know it, and it's i guess the other thing that caused me to think about this is the the craziness about the uh, one year anniversary of january 6th um regardless of what actually happened the hysteria one year later <laughs> exhibited the last week you know by the president and others when they talked about it really indicates a level of fear that i didn't realize existed there i mean it could be fake fear but i i think they're very nervous and that nervousness um means that we have big problems in this country that even people that don't like to talk about them recognize was january 6th the beginning of uh, a second civil war I mean, you say in your column, civil war or civil dissolution here in the U.S. is already happening. Yeah, it is, but not through not through walkthroughs and protests in the in the Capitol building. I mean, I think it's happening in much more substantial ways in the sense that people are attempting both as individuals and families and even as states to separate themselves from Washington, D.C. in one way or another. Um, I think. Uh, uh, you know, already the states and the people resent the tax burden that the federal right. government puts on them. And, and that tax burden can only go up. I mean, imagine if the Fed is really going to raise rates and they raise them. And imagine if they raise them to market levels, what would be naturally required? Our federal government would collapse. I mean, they cannot pay the debt. They cannot fund the, thing, the things that they've been funding without uh, without printed money, without electronic money created out of thin air. So if we, if they had to get that money somewhere else, where would they get it? Well, they try to get it from states and individuals and families and businesses. And already those families and states and individuals do not, they're unhappy with the level of taxes they're already paying. So right, um, there's, right. there's things that could happen. I don't see it happening as a march through the Capitol building. I'm going really to give you some ammo uh, for your argument. Uh, about the United States dissolving. Prior to the Civil War, there was a concept of nullification, whereby the legislature or the highest court of a state could nullify something the federal government did and say, well, quite simply, it doesn't apply in our state. This goes back to the Alien and Sedition Acts, in which the Articles of Nullification for Kentucky and Virginia were written by none other than Thomas Jefferson, who wrote the Declaration of Independence, and James Madison, who wrote the Constitution. Fast forward to today. I don't know your views on abortion, but Roe versus Wade has been nullified in the state of Texas mm -hmm. with the express approval twice of the Supreme Court of the United States, That's which right. basically said, even though Roe versus Wade is the law of the land, and Texas has defied it, Roe versus Wade, abortions can happen up to 24 weeks of pregnancy. Texas, no abortion can be had after the sixth week of pregnancy. We're not going to interfere with it while the case makes its way through the courts, which means for at least another two years. That's right. Might that be the legal beginning of the undermining of the federal government? Stated differently, might other states nullify things that the federal government has done for which there is a legitimate argument to be made that the federal thing violates the constitution. 
Yes, absolutely. And I think, you know, our country is a legalistic country. It's a rule-based country. And this is, this is the real wedge that we have. This is the real power that we have, states and people, to, uh, uh, to limit the federal government because there's not much other power to limit it. I mean, we are a well-armed country, but that's chaotic and, and there's no organization. A lot of people want to say, oh, well, the military will lead us into freedom. It's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> that is so insane. But it's not insane at all to have uh, a mass level of nullification. And it could, it could take forms that we as maybe conservatives, libertarians wouldn't like, you know, the, the, the blue, the blue states will, will do their share of nullification. Correct. Well. Correct. Um, correct. So it's a wonderful thing. And I'll tell you the example I give, it's a little bit old, but I always talk about it when I get a chance. Um, back when Bush was president and he had the no child left behind. And of course they mandated in constant improvements of all the school performance through federal testing. And if you didn't do that, you didn't get your 5% of the federal money. Well, Utah, state of Utah got in trouble. Uh, they, their students weren't progressing according to the federal government. And so the federal government said, well, you have to do this and that. And the Utah Secretary of Education called D.C. and said, you can keep your 5%. We don't really need it. And we're not going to comply with your things. Well, you could say, well, that's nullification without the courts. That's an administrative right. nullification. It's wonderful. Well, what happened was the department, the Secretary of Education flew immediately to, uh, I assume, Salt Lake City and um, had a conversation and they agreed to basically, you will take our money and we won't make you do anything for it. I mean, this this demonstrates the incredible weakness of the federal government. I mean, they, yes. they live yes. to integrate uh, into, into city in, in, you know, exist within our own local familial state relationships they without us acknowledging them and recognizing them they have no power whatsoever and i think that example with the what happened with the no child left behind money uh really demonstrated it you don't have to do bottom line you don't have to do anything the federal government says not a thing and i think many people and states recognize this so in 1986 when the federal government realized that it did not have the authority to control speed limits and it did not have the authority to control the minimum blood alcohol content in the car automobile driver's veins before he could be charged with DWI. Senator Frank Lautenberg, uh, late Senator uh, Lautenberg of my home state of New Jersey, came up with the idea, well, let's let's repave all the federal highways in the country. And in return for repaving it, we give the money to the states. They have to use the money to repave the highways. They have to agree to lower the DWI from 0 0.10, which is two and a half beers, to 0 0.08, which is two beers. And they have to lower their speed limits from whatever they are to 55 miles an hour. 49 states agreed. South Dakota said, we'll take the cash. We're not lowering the speed limits. We have roads in South Dakota that have no speed limits. And by the way, they also have no accidents. <laughs> Case went all the way to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court said, you want the money? You accept the strings. Now, what left-wing, pinko, progressive, creep, big government president signed that into law? Ronald Reagan. <laughs> So, you know, you and I have a colleague named Philip Hamburger, Columbia University. He's probably not very happy because he's the only libertarian on the law school faculty there. Has just done a massive study of every instance in which the federal government has exceeded the powers given to it under the Constitution by paying or bribing the states. 
So your example of the No Child Left Behind has a happy ending. The South Dakota versus Dole. Dole was Elizabeth Dole, who was the Secretary of Transportation. She had nothing to do with this. She was just named as the defendant. Has an, has an unhappy uh, ending. But this might all stop if the feds don't have cash. That's right. And if the Federal Reserve can't just keep adding zeros on to Chase, J.P. Morgan Chase's account at the Fed saying, now distribute this money, and there's literally nobody accepts what is uh, distributed. That's so right. your, your view, to make sure that I'm summarizing this correctly, if I don't stop me, is that the civil war that is coming is not one of violence. It's not the people on January 6th versus the people who don't like what happened on January 6th. It's everyone realizing that the federal government is bankrupt, financially bankrupt, intellectually bankrupt, morally bankrupt, and the Constitution, though it exists formally, functionally, doesn't work anymore. Uh, yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. And and that is, uh, I think, a, a happier way to think about uh, the uh, decentralization of power in this country, um, because it doesn't have to be a violent one. Um, it doesn't have to be an unhappy one. I mean, you know, like you said, with the Constitution, most people who love the Constitution at the same time realize that it is not in effect. So you right. can still love the Constitution and not want to... Uh, uh, promote Washington, D.C. in any way, shape, or form. Because, uh, in fact, it's it would be inconsistent to promote Washington and love the Constitution. So it, it's it's just not in play. Uh, you the know. Uh, pr president of the Mises Foundation, a, a friend of yours and mine, Jeff Deist, uh, has been writing and speaking about this very effectively for about a year. And he calls it soft secession. States just basically saying to the federal government, like in the example of Texas and abortion, forget about it. Forget about it. We're, we're just not we're just not going there anymore. And the people going along with it. Uh, maybe if we can get you to Auburn, you and Jeff and I can do uh, a program on where is the country going? How can we accelerate peaceful nullification and soft secession? And then mm -hmm. I was critical of Ronald Reagan before. One of the beautiful things he said we can actually do, you can vote with your feet. Yeah. If, if you don't like the taxes in New Jersey or the abortion laws in New Jersey, which, by the way, as of yesterday, permit abortion up to the moment before birth, you can go 10 miles from where I am now to the other side of the Delaware River to Pennsylvania, where you will like the laws, particularly on abortion and guns and taxes. Same thing in Massachusetts. You can drive a half an hour and get to New Hampshire. No, it's absolutely true. And and um, actually, I think the uh, the powers that be realize this. And I think one of the big emphasis, futuristic views, but it's happening now, is they really want to limit the ability of people to, to vote with their feet. Um, they can control, as we've seen for many, many elections, you know, they can control the outcomes of these elections, but they can't yet stop people from walking across state borders and moving and taking their livelihood. Um, they're having a tough time with all this working from home stuff. I mean, what a liberating kind of thing that it's been for so many people to be productive, but pay the taxes that they would like to pay because they're working out of the state they like to live in. And they're just as productive, if not more. Um, I think there's a lot of freedom that just bursts out around the edges all the time. Uh, it's, it's good stuff. Karen, you have so many titles, Colonel, Doctor, 
champion of individual liberty. What a pleasure. I can't wait. Thank you for coming on Judging Freedom. I can't wait till we can do it again. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Judge. All the best, my friend. <laughs>